from AM and FM stations around the country. Welcome to the Small Business Administration award-winning School for Startups Radio, where we talk all things small business and entrepreneurship. Now, here is your host, the guy that believes anyone can be a successful entrepreneur because entrepreneurship is not about creativity, risk, or passion, Jim Beach. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another exciting edition of School for Startups Radio. It's Monday, November 13th. I hope you had a fantastic weekend raking leaves, perhaps maybe getting a little work done for the week ahead. I have a fantastic show for you today. And I was just looking at all of the shows coming up here in the next week or two before the holidays. And boy, do we have some amazing stuff today. We're going to be learning about teaching chat GPT. That's right. Teaching chat GPT or your small business needs. An amazing guest who's doing a really cool business, Shanif Dahani, will be with us first. Really cool. I can't stress how I am so excited about ChatGPT and hopefully how it's going to make your life better. I'm starting to get a lot of documents from employees and workers and stuff like that that have obviously been GPT'd, but they are better and we're getting more work done. Plus, they have started. And I discovered this from one of my guests, maybe from Shanif, that ChatGPT now has a plugin store where you go just like to the app store. You go to the plugin store and buy a ChatGPT add-on, and it makes ChatGPT do a little skill better. It's a preset list of instructions for ChatGPT to do whatever you want, a, a cool task. And there's some amazing plugins there. You've got to go check that out. Last week, the minutes, you know, we, ha we have this show, the long show, but also we have the school for startups minutes, which are 90 seconds long, figure that one out 90 seconds long, but they are about a particular topic each day. And I think it was last week we did five incredible uses for chat GPT plugins. So very, very up to date. You got to go check that out. Do that though, and make sure, well, just go to school for startups slash minutes and you will find them. Okay. Uh, some very useful things there. Anyway, our second guest is Nadia Steinzor. She is an aluminum expert. She is going to help educate us on raw materials and all of the incredible uh, changes going on in that industry. You know, as entrepreneurs, when we learn about an industry, we might see an opportunity. And so this is a education deep dive into minerals and aluminum in particular. And I hope Nadia will spur some thought in your brain to some potential, uh, future business for you. So anyway, great stuff today. Uh, in the future weeks and days ahead, we are going to deal with a Texas only industrial venture capitalist. We're going to talk about financial education for kids. We're going to meet an entrepreneur who is killing stress with a stress killing app and non food franchising. We're going to have a blue angel pilot on 
uh, Midwest venture capital. We had Texas. We're also going to have Midwest. We're going to talk about strategy. We're going to learn about legal psychedelics, not marijuana, psychedelics, and how that industry is exploding and trucking updates all in the next week or so. Some amazing companies and amazing entrepreneurs. I have a minute or so left, so I wanted to comment on the Sam Bankman Freed conviction. He is the crypto king entrepreneur worth $26 billion. And then his company FTX imploded in a matter of days, 24 hours, because he was not being ethical clearly violating some of the rules. And so he got convicted on seven counts, I think, and is looking at somewhere between 20 and 100 years in prison. The question is, how long is he going to get? And several people have been asking me, do I think the conviction is fair? Do I believe that he is guilty? All that. First of all, yes, I think it's clear that he was very guilty. He I was explaining it to someone who didn't understand he was operating a bank and instead of holding the investments for the customers, he was spending them pretty simply and they're going to get some of the money back. And in the end, they won't lose that much money, but on the scale of things, 10 billion lost versus say 600 million, 700 million with Elizabeth Holmes, she got 12 years. So how long, you know, is that scale important? Bernie Madoff got 150 years, right, for his Ponzi scheme. A lot of that money was returned over time as well. The key thing here, though, is Elizabeth Holmes was at least trying to help people. Sam Bankman Freed was not trying to help people. He was trying to help himself. And he was rude to the judge. He was dismissive of the attorneys. He was rude when answering questions. I think he's going to get the book thrown at him. And I'm predicting 25 years. He's 31 years old now. And so that's not a life sentence, but still. That is my prediction. Official here. He gets sentenced to the end of March. I'll keep you updated. Anyway, we've got a great show to get started. Here we go. Let's do that now. Bye, bye, bye. School for Startups Radio hopes you will reach out to us if you have any questions or comments or if you need help with your business at any stage, from concepts to exit. Jim accepts all connections on LinkedIn. He tweets from at Entrepreneur Jim, and he responds to emails at james.beach at att.net. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy the show. We are back with our first guest again. Thank you so very much for being with us. I'm very excited to introduce Shanif Dahani. He is a young AI entrepreneur. He has a company called Locusive. L-O-C-U-S-I-V-E dot com. It helps you figure out how to integrate your existing API, your existing computer systems with the cool AI that support it. He has been an entrepreneur for his entire young career. Prior to this, he started a company called uh, Aptio, which was an e-commerce platform. And prior to that, he worked at some place called Twitter. Wow. Shanif, welcome to the show. How are you doing? 
Hey, Jim, thank you so much for having me. I am doing great. Thanks for uh, the time. I'm looking forward to chatting. I am looking forward to learning about uh, AI a little bit more. So did I explain it correctly? I have a company. I have some software that I bought, you know, for my customer management or something like that. And it may be legacy stuff, but I'm stuck with it. And I've heard some cool things about AI and I come to you. Do I sound like your typical customer? You know, that's a lot of what we do. You've got these old systems, but not even that. You could also have different data sources, maybe files or maybe Google Drive. And we help you plug all that stuff into the new AI systems like ChatGPT so you can start talking to your own data. What does that mean, talking to my own data? I'm lost now. Great question. So different different customers want to do different things. So, for example, a lot of our customers want to build chatbots for their website that let their existing users ask questions. Hey, does your product do this? Or, hey, can you uh, tell me about this piece of data that I'm seeing on my dashboard? So you're a customer of ours. Maybe you've got some existing software and you want to let your users be able to have better support. Well, that's one way to talk to your data. Another is maybe you've got a sales team that gets a lot of random questions from your customers. Maybe they have to call their managers to figure out the answer. They start implementing something like Locusive, and they can ask our chatbot. And then the chatbot looks through all their data and gives them the answer so that they can respond on their sales calls right away. So it's basically a way to get answers from your data, from your company-specific information in a faster way than you've been able to before. All right. Chat GPT as I remember it was educated until some certain point and then they turned it off learning and then it wasn't allowed access to the internet, but now mm-hmm. recently they gave it access to the internet. So my question is how do you teach my company specifics to chat GPT so that it will remember it forever? How does that happen? Yeah, this is the golden question, you know, that every CEO asks of me. So I'm not going to get too technical. You know, my background is in data science and AI. Essentially, the way it works is you hook up your tools or your data sources, whether that's that legacy system or your folders or your Google Drive, you hook it up into a system that's connected to ChatGPT. Uh, you might have used some of the plugins on ChatGPT that do this. For example, you might give a specific Google Sheets file So basically, you're connecting it to ChatGPT, and then somebody asks a question, or somebody says, hey, I need to do this. And that tool or that plugin basically takes your question, it uses something like ChatGPT to figure out where that data lives, pulls it back, and then it gives it to ChatGPT with your question so that it can provide the final answer. Now, this is one of the most common ways to do it. It's basically just taking context from your data sources when a question is asked. It's the easiest way to do it. And it's a lot more reliable than doing something like training your own models. And almost every company today is doing something like that. Okay. I still don't understand. Do they hook up a hard drive? I mean, or how does, I mean, do you go into chat GPT and say, remember the file I'm about to send you? Um, I, I I still just don't get it. Well, you know, let's assume that chat GPT, you might have a system like ours where chat GPT can access anything that you give it access to. So let's say I sign my, I sign up and I say, hey, ChatGPT, here's my Google Drive. Here's all the folders you've got access to. Or, hey, here's my file system, if you've got a system that can connect to your file system. You have to have some way of giving access to ChatGPT to your data. And you can use a tool like Locus to do that. Anyway, okay. 
got all this access, but it doesn't know at any given time, you know, when somebody asks a question, it doesn't know where that file system is or where that, or sorry, where that data is, which document in your file system has this information. So you basically plug in a system that can take the user's question. It does a quick search over all your data to find where the potential information might be, gets that potential information back, and then it gives all that information to ChatGPT with the user's question. So it's kind of like doing a quick search when the user asks a question to find the most relevant pieces of information across all your knowledge base, all your trusted data sources. And then it says, hey, ChatGPT, here's everything I could find. Just give me the final answer from all this information. And so that's a little bit of how it works. It's sort of real-time on-demand search plus Q&A with ChatGPT. All right, so say I have a tennis club and I have 500 members and all of their match loss and win data. And I could I give access to that data through Locusive and then say, chat GPT suggest two players that I should uh, match against each other to have a great match. Does is that, yeah, you, that, you got it. that's a, that's exactly right. So, you know, you can say, Hey, chat GPT suggests two players and Locusa will say, Hey, I've, you know, Jim, you've got this, uh, this database of tennis players and their wins and losses. I'm going to use this information I'm going to take your question and give this all this data about wins and losses to ChatGPT, and I'm going to take your question and give it to ChatGPT at the same time, and it'll use that data to provide the answer. So that's essentially how that that's working in the background. And the data could be numbers, addresses, anything, right? It doesn't matter what the data is. Yeah, that's right. You might have heard, Jim, that like a lot of these systems don't do too well with math, and so this data tends to work really, really well with text. Long form text. How can content. math be hard for a computer, Shanif? That seems. Oh, it's a great so, question. <laughs> yeah, it's seriously. a great question. That seems so counterintuitive. It is. It is. So you know, my, I would think of it this way: the way that ChatGPT works, it's taking all of the things you give it, all of the information, the text, the numbers, and it's transforming that internally into what's called a token, like just a representation of information. So when you give it a number, let's say nine or 54 or 75, and then you give it some sort of addition or arithmetic to do, in the way that ChatGPT was trained, it's essentially saying, well, okay, this is just another, like, number nine kind of looks like the letter A, or it looks like a comma, or it looks like you know, an ampersand. And it doesn't really learn a lot about the arithmetic or the mathematical functions. ChatGPT was trained really to understand how text follows other text. Other systems may be trained differently. So other systems maybe have learned, hey, look, here's the mathematical relationship between numbers and they can do numbers really well. So it, it, I know it's a little bit crazy, sounds a little bit vague, comes down to the way that these systems were trained. And ChatGPT was really, really trained mostly for uh, text processing and natural language. And it just doesn't have that same sort of arithmetic or mathematical understanding as maybe another system uh, that was trained more on numbers. I'm happy to dive deeper, but I don't want to get, I don't want to bore you, bore your listeners. Well, I'm not afraid of that. I'm just afraid that I'm already lost. So (laughs) go any further. I'm going to look really stupid. All right. Well, that seems like even a small business, like, I mean, I'm even thinking of, you know, uses for the silly little radio show, you know, the ability to, uh, 
you know, have you on the show and then cross-reference guests that if you enjoyed this interview, who else would you enjoy? You know, that kind of thing. Just like, uh, the mm -hmm. shopping bots on Amazon. If you bought this album, you'd love this album too. You know, so, uh, tons of uses. Yep. Is there a price point that a small business can afford? I think so. You can, you know, for what it's worth right now, Locusive is free. We've been working with a bunch of our initial customers to really understand what do they want this for. So like you said, there's tons of use cases and we don't want to build, you know, we're a small company right now. We're a startup. We're building to make sure we solve a real problem. And so the earliest customers we're working with have allowed us to understand what's the problem that they're having. And so we're making this sort of free to use. Now, one day, it's not going to be free, unfortunately, sadly. We have to run a business. But we're trying to make this accessible. We're trying to make it so that any business can use it. Hopefully, it's not going to be too pricey. You know, you can use ChatGPT right now totally for free. Or you can sign up for ChatGPT Plus, which is $20 a month. Some other LLMs do the same. We're trying not to break the bank. But uh, yeah, right now, as of this day, you know, it's Locusive is totally free. Now, we do provide a limited use. We're a Slack bot or a chat bot. We're an API. Uh, we're building out some other capabilities as well. But it's great for folks who want to be able to search through their data or find a quick question. And they're already using something like Slack, for example. And... What form does the data have to be for me to get it into your app? So if I, if it's on a website, would it work? Or does it have to be in a data file? What sure. Works? Yeah. We've, we've added support for about five different sources, web pages and websites, definitely one PDFs, another one. Um, we add support for uh, Google drive. So any files that you've got in Google drive, uh, Google Sheets, and we actually also plugged in the Salesforce API. So even if you've got information in Salesforce, it works. We're working on adding a bunch of other uh, integrations, Notion, Gmail, historical Slack messages themselves. But really what we're trying to do is support wherever your data lives, we'll be able to plug it in. And websites, web files, Google, those are some of the earliest integrations that we've got. Well, you named everything that I could think of. So, and you can put anything into a Google drive, damn it. So that should be, I mean, that, that sounds really impressive. Let's switch tracks. Now I understand the business. How'd you get started? What was the idea that prompted this? What did you do first? Give us an entrepreneurial history lesson. Yeah, it's, uh, it's been an interesting ride for me. My, this is my third startup. Um, First one, we did well. We, you know, we had a nice exit. We sold to Twitter. And then the second one, I shut down because we couldn't do anything. You know, we, we had a good five-year journey, but we just couldn't make it. And so that was last year. And earlier this year, I was trying to figure out, hey, what do I really want to do with my life? Am I still interested in building? It turns out I am, but I wanted to make sure I'm building the right thing. And so I started doing a little bit of consulting to see what people were willing to pay for. And I landed in the world of data because i've always been in the world of data i'm a data scientist and i started i started seeing that people wanted to use chat gpt with their data some people wanted to do different things some people wanted to use it to categorize their data some people used wanted to use it to search through their data but i started seeing hey most of these companies i'm working with are willing to pay me to build some sort of system that searches or finds information from their data 
So I used those consulting projects to build an MVP of my own product earlier this year, started selling that product and started working with the earliest customers for that product to make it a little bit better. And so, you know, the, the history I just gave you is about a 12-year history condensed down into a couple of minutes. Um, but the key things are, you know, my background is in data and AI. I love that space. Started trying to find a new problem to work on this year. And I sort of stumbled into the world of data search and question and answering with AI through some early consulting projects this year. I've just been pursuing it ever since. And so did you write the stuff yourself? I did. I did my back. I, you know, I'm a software engineer by training. And so I wrote a lot of the, uh, the, the pieces to take your data and hook it up to chat GPT to chat with it, to refresh it every night. You know, I wrote all of that code and I'm continuing to write code. You know, my time is sort of being pulled in multiple directions now that I'm doing also sales and marketing, but, um, short answer is yes. I, you know, it's been a long, long set of months to write all that code. And so you say you're doing sales and marketing. Is it still a, a one person team? Yeah, it is at the moment, but I'm working, you know, I've got a really good colleague who's now helping me do a little bit of outreach. We're starting to reach out to enterprises and I've got a team of folks I've worked with in the past who are sort of consulting with me. A couple of engineers I've worked with at the past, uh, in the past, both at Twitter and SpaceX who are helping me write some code as well as a couple of marketers who I've worked with. So it's a one man show right now, but you can't do this alone. And so I'm, I'm pulling in folks who I've worked with in the past and hopefully we'll bring them on full time in the near future. And what does your marketing plan look like? I mean, how, what are you going to base the whole market yeah. strategy on? I, you know, one of the things I learned in my last startup was just the power of uh, content and SEO. And so I've got a lot of marketing tasks I want to do, but the foundation is going to be social and SEO. So for example, I've been posting online on social media for three times a day, every day, no exceptions for the past eight months. And that's brought in almost all of my business. That's led to a lot of leads, a lot of information. Uh, gathering from folks who want who want to work with me. So social media has been a really good tool for me, but specifically trying to add value, not adding you know nonsense posts. And then I also at the same time back in March or April of this year started doing SEO optimized pages, and that's taken about six months to show some results. But now actually SEO is even outperforming social media and leading to several conversions and leads. There's a bunch of stuff I want to do on top of that. But, you know, me being a one-man show, not having a huge budget, I had to start uh, doing stuff that could move the needle without spending a lot of money. And so content was is the key, and it will continue to be the key going forward. All right. Gives us some advice on content, but also the, you said, building pages for Google. Talk to us a little bit about that. How do we do that, copy what you've done with our content strategy? I think that, you know, there's so much nonsense out there in the world. Everyone's trying to hype themselves up. The, the way that I've used social media particularly is to try to add value first. So, for example, I, I said I post three times a day. I'll try to post tips and tricks for how to use ChatGPT or how to. Just on Twitter? Where do you post those? I do LinkedIn and Twitter, but, you know, frankly, LinkedIn does way better for me than Twitter. And so most of my work is on LinkedIn these days. Uh, I find that to be a good market, a good audience, because I'm sort of going B2B. That's where a lot of the folks that I want to work with are. Yep. And so on LinkedIn, it's also nice. You can post these long form articles. You can post con you can post videos. But a lot of my posts are not necessarily long form. They're maybe five, six hundred words. 
But the concept is, hey, I'm trying to add value. Uh, if you're thinking about using LLMs, for example, here's how you start. Or, hey, here's one prompting t- trick I learned. Or, hey, if you're an engineer, here's some code that might work for you. That's one way that social media has really stood up. I've been able to make social media stand out for me because it's just one of those things where people are so tired of seeing all the nonsense and the BS. They're looking at me to be able to provide some value. And then when they're ready, when folks are ready to engage or make a purchase or buy like consulting services or even use a product like mine, I'll be top of mind. So that's social, you know, very simple, authentic, but consistent three times a day, add value. And then for SEO, for Google pages, it's a little bit more work. You really have to do a lot of stuff to understand what keywords you want to target, who it is that you're targeting. You want to understand what sort of uh, things people are searching when they're ready to buy. It's called you know, high intent, maybe low funnel keywords. And then you start to target low funnel, uh, high intent types of pages. So for example, locusive versus my next best competitor, Locusa versus Chatbase, Locusa versus Intercom. Those are pages that convert really well. Or how to use my data, my company's data with ChatGPT. That's a page that converts really well. Or, you know, best chatbots for 2023. That's a page that converts really, really well. So you target these keywords for people who are ready to buy. You write high quality content and you direct them to start using your product. If you do this consistently over six months or 12 months, you're going to start to rank higher and higher and the results sort of snowball. And so it's simple. It does take a lot of work, but the concepts themselves are not that hard for either social media or SEO. They just take a lot of work and a lot of consistency. Hopefully that's helpful. It is, especially your advice on consistency. That's the hard part, I think, Uh, especially with podcasts, you know, pod burn or Podcasters get tired after a while and quit, and uh, it's just hard to be consistent after six months. Yeah. So, uh, I would say that's one of the hardest things, you know, especially if you're not seeing a lot of results early. It's easy to quit, it's easy to, you know, give up. Um, this is my third startup now, so I've seen the patterns where it takes six to 12 months to get started. So, you just have to power through it. And then once you see the results, it's a little bit easier, but you're absolutely right. Sticking with it is the hard part. Any advice there? Uh, know what you know who you are as a person and really what it is you want to work on. So it's a lot easier to stay consistent if you're working on something that you have a lot of passion for versus something you don't care about. So that's the first thing. And then the second thing is just develop habits and develop systems. Uh, what I do is I will actually schedule my social media content three to four weeks in advance, which means if I don't feel like doing it one day, it's okay. It's still going to come out. Every Saturday, for example, I'll go through and I'll write one new SEO page. Um, I'll have an idea in mind during the week. I'll keep track of my notes and then I'll go through. Interestingly enough, now I'm actually using an AI tool called Claude to write, to help me write my SEO pages. And that helps get over the, you know, the lack of willingness to try it or the lack of, you know, the exhaustion. Um, AI tools will help a lot. But the main thing I found, at least that works for myself, is developing habits where I can just lean back on muscle memory to get the things done that I need to get done. It's a little bit easier to do that than willing yourself to try to do it every day. Um, I know it's a little bit cliche, but it works when you get it down. What are some of the other tools other than chat GPT that you're finding useful? 
You know, it's been an interesting 2023 in terms of AI tools. So I'll mention those first. ChatGPT being the main one, but Claude, Claude's a competitor to ChatGPT, but it's actually a little bit better for long form content because it can handle more words. So Claude, I use to write long form content, saves me four or five hours a week. There's another tool called TLDV, TLDV.io, which I use to record my meetings and transcribe them. And then that allows me to take a meeting and come up with all the text, uh, speech to text that went into that meeting, which is really useful for searching later. There's another tool called Vocal Video, which is really helpful for gathering client testimonials. It's really good for making uh, customer stories, case studies very easily. And then outside of that, you know, those are AI specific tools. I use Notion, which is a really fantastic uh, workspace management tool to keep track of my entire company. Um, I'll use things like DocuSign, HelloSign for quick, you know, signatures. Slack is something I use on a daily basis to keep track of people. Uh, Webflow is what we use to build our website. So it's funny, you know, these days, the world of software services, you've got so many tools you can use, but they really do help you streamline your business, especially if you're a small, small team. Uh, I could probably go on, but those are the ones that come top of mind right now. Great list. There's uh, a lot I'm more. Not, but go ahead. Go ahead. I don't know. I was going to say there's a lot more, but those are the ones that I would start with if I was a new entrepreneur. Uh, what about for video? I saw one the other day. Uh, grunge get, oh, munch, get munch. That was really cool for video. If you, hmm. what's your video recommendation? That's that's interesting. I haven't uh, seen it yet. So for video editing, I think I mentioned vocal video, which is good for collecting testimonials, but it also has some good uh, video editing features. I'm a little bit old school as well. I come from the world of iMovie, which I still use to do things like trim a video or add captions. Sometimes I'm, you know, honestly, I'm using vocal video more often than not now. Um, Munge sounds interesting. I've come across, I'm not sure if it does video editing or anything else, but I've come across a few tools like this right now. So I haven't used Munge, um, but you know, I, my background is nowhere near video pr production or editing. Right. There's yeah, so, sure. tools, yeah, so many interesting tools out there now where you can start to do these things, even if you don't have a background in it. Very impressive and very cool business. And I, uh, I'll try to sign up today and see if I can play with Locusive. It looks like it would solve so many of my problems. I on I'm on your homepage right now and it has all these questions that keep popping up. Are you wasting yeah. time searching for one email? Oh my god, do I spend so much time doing that, you know? So, uh, will it just go through Outlook or Gmail and give me help with my email finds? The, yep, that's the idea. Well, the idea is you connect your email so that we have access to it. And then, like I said, once you type a question, it'll search through all the emails that might have the answer and then find the pieces of information that might have the answer and use that with ChatGPT to come up with the final answer. It's worth mentioning with Gmail, that's certain, something we, we've sort of limited right now to our beta testers, just a few folks who are right now getting access to that and trying it out. But yeah, the concept is the same. You know, you can ask a question, say, hey, look, look through my email, try to find this answer, and it'll do that, and it'll come to you with the answer. Wow. Shanif, how do we find out more, follow you online, get access to the LinkedIn post, et cetera? 
Well, uh, our website's at locusive.com. Funny word, but it's L-O-C-U-S-I-V-E.com. You can email me personally. I'm Shanif, S-H-A-N-I-F, at locusive.com. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. Like I said, just search for Shanif, and I'm one of the first guys that comes up. And, you know, Twitter, at Shanif. And so it's one of those things where I try to be as responsive as I can. Locusive.com is where you should go to find me, and I'll be happy to get in touch with anyone who wants to chat more. Does X survive Twitter? Does it survive? I say yes. I say yes. Elon is a little bit too good. He wants to do too many interesting things. He's also done a really good job of increasing revenue over the past probably year or so. Um, now, had you asked me when I worked at Twitter, I might have said something different, but I've been sort of impressed at what he's doing. So I would say yes, if I had to guess. Really? Wow. That's yep. not what we're hearing in the media. You're the first person I've ever heard to say that at all. So very interesting. It's been an interesting way, you know, watching it both from the inside and the outside. I've, I've had a lot of opinions about it. I'm actually encouraged by what he's doing. I don't think the media likes him right now. I don't think the media likes Elon or what he's doing. I That's think he's right. made it. They hate him right now. Yes. Yep. He's made it a lot harder for them, but you look at the average Twitter user, you look at the revenue that they're making now. It's, it's all really interesting. He's done a good job of monetizing things that weren't monetized before, like verified profiles and business accounts. They're making money. He's doing a good job, at least for the company. So I think it survives. Interesting. We will hold that to you. Shani, thank you so much for being with us and hope you come back. Thank you so much, Jim. Appreciate the time. And we will be right back. Well, that's a, that's, a, that's a wonderful question, actually, Jim. Oh, my gosh. I love the opportunity to do this. Thank you, Jim. Wow, that's, that's, a, that's a great one. You know, that is a phenomenal question. That's a great question, and, and I don't have a great answer. It, that's a great question. Oh, that is such a loaded question. And that's actually a really good question. School for Startups Radio. We are back in again. Thank you so much for being with us today. Very excited to continue our education here on the show. And I'm excited to introduce someone who can help us do that. Please welcome Nadia Steinzor. She is with the environmental. I had it. I had it pulled up and now I can't see it. What's the name of the organization? Environmental policy. Integrity, integrity. project. That's it. Environmental integrity project. Thank you. I had scrolled to the wrong place and they have just released a new, I guess, very comprehensive report. Nothing else like it on aluminum, the benefits of it and the damages as well. And it has some recommendations. We're going to try to learn as we figure out how we can as entrepreneurs help play the game. Nadia, welcome. How are you? I'm well, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Appreciate um, the opportunity to be on the show. All right. So let's get a, maybe a, a 30,000 foot perspective. Are things getting better environmentally or the efforts helping, or are we going backwards? Well, that's a, that is a really big question. I would say it's a million foot uh, perspective. Um, I think, you know, if you compare back to several decades ago before we had um, rules and 
and regulations in place to protect the environment and all the health problems that came with it, things are definitely better. Um, the Environmental Integrity Project is very focused in making sure that laws like the Clean Air Act and the Clean Water Act are enforced and kept updated and really serve the public. And in that regard, I would say things have gotten a lot better. Um, you know, it's a long time since we've had, like we did in the 60s and 70s, had rivers catch on fire and, had, you know, there's a lot more clean water uh, drinking water and so on. Um, I think, you know, part of the problem now, of course, is that we have climate change is in our midst and things are getting um, less stable and less predictable environmentally. And, you know, in the, in the plus column of all of this, we would also say that there's a lot more technologies at our disposal and a lot more um, paths forward to improve the environment and protect uh, communities and that's part of what we tried to show in this report that there's a lot of environmental issues with the production of aluminum and there's also a lot of really um, great opportunities to improve it all right i love that i love that there's opportunities to make it better so why do we care about aluminum what's it good for aluminum siding in my house pretty tacky i don't want that so what else is it good for? <laughs> yeah um aluminum is a remarkably lightweight versatile um and very recyclable metal and because it's very durable and because of that it's in a lot of products i don't know if you have a beverage can on your desk at the moment i'm I sitting do. in front of a yes well that's probably what's aluminum and then we've got aluminum in our laptops and um, a lot of us probably drove today and there's a lot of aluminum, a growing amount of aluminum in cars. Um, so it is used in a lot of applications. Right now, the biggest projections for growing demand for aluminum are coming um, from the electrical electric vehicle market. Um, because it's so lightweight, it can offset the weight of the batteries that are needed in electric vehicles. So auto manufacturers are looking um, to use more aluminum and less steel so that to balance out the weight. And then there's also a lot of potential for increasing um, solar panels and even wind turbines. And that all requires a lot of aluminum. So that's where the the, and the, that's all the things the environmentalists yeah. want. I mean, you're talking yes. about environmentally good products, right? Absolutely. And that was the point of this report is that we really believe um, that aluminum, it's not just us, a lot of people believe that aluminum has a really solid and big role to play in the shift to clean energy and transportation. And in so doing would also play a really big role in growing U.S. businesses and industry and the jobs that go along with it, increasing manufacturing in the U.S. Um, but really to make good on that promise, we're, we wanted to show um, the problems, the inherent environmental problems um, with producing aluminum and the air and water pollution that it causes and the impact on communities so that um, producers and the policymakers who want to see more aluminum in the U.S. will, will you know, consider making some changes so that the, there are better um, controls on the pollution and so that the impacts are, are lower. And where does the aluminum come from around the world? What countries are, have big stashes? 
Right. Well, a lot of the aluminum that's produced in the U.S. today is what's called secondary aluminum or made out of scrap metal. And the U.S. is actually the the world's second largest producer of that kind of aluminum. So that's when, you know, car doors and appliances and beverage cans are are recovered and recycled. Um, Then you can make more metal out of it because aluminum is so versatile it can be alloyed with other metals it can be reformed uh, remelted and reformed in a lot of ways so a lot of what the u.s produces and also uses and exports is that kind of metal but globally right now the u.s only produces about one percent of the world's new aluminum because we've seen a real decline in production in the u.s there used to be uh, 23 over yeah about 23 smelters or the facilities where new aluminum is created um, in the U.S. and today there are only six. So around the world, the largest producers of new aluminum are China, India, Russia, uh, the United Arab Emirates, Canada, and a bunch of other countries. Right now, the U.S. ranks ninth in that regard. Um, and then there are the raw materials that aluminum's made from. It, you can just imagine all the water and energy and land that it takes to go from a rock where a mineral called aluminum oxide is locked up, and that rock is called bauxite. Um, that's found all over the world. So you have to go from that rock all the way to a metal that can then be turned into things like our laptops and beverage cans and cars. So. That's a really long process, and that rock bauxite is found in many different countries. The U.S. gets most of its supply from Jamaica. We actually have uh, one refinery of the bauxite left in the United States in Louisiana, and they have a direct relationship with the um, with the mine in Jamaica. Um, but it's really that bauxite is found in Australia, in West Africa. Um, in Jamaica, in many different countries. Interesting. When you said Jamaica, I was for sure you were going to tell a joke of some kind. (laughs) (laughs) No, and, you know, Jamaica used to be a account for an even larger proportion of the bauxite, um, but a lot of other countries have come on the scene now. But but the U.S. is still, you know, given the, the proximity of the two countries and the relates the long corporate relationships, uh, we still get over 60% of our um, bauxite ore from, from Jamaica. Wow. I, I'm just shocked that it's you know, such a small island is able to produce like that. Plus I've been to Jamaica and never seen any signs of that. And I kind of look for that well, kind of stuff. Uh, you know, it's probably uh, not the best for it to, you know, for tourists and people That's, enjoying yes. the, the blue, the blue waters and the clear skies and having a winter getaway to, to see these mines. And, uh, you know, part of what we really document in this report is the impact of that bauxite mining on a community in Jamaica and on the environment overall. It creates an, a a very large volume of dust. It's very red dust. It coats crops and um, makes it really hard to farm. It covers people's homes and causes a lot of respiratory problems. So, is it strip mining? Like the yeah, pictures we've seen. Yeah, I mean, and then it, it's strip mining and then just digging down and just creating a lot of dust. And um, there's a lot of concerns now about the impact on natural areas. There's a lot of forests in Australia that have been cut down um, for um, for the bauxite mining. 
um, even more forest disappears in Australia for um, bauxite mining um, than for than for logging in certain areas. So it's a lot of loss of wild habitat and bird habitat and so on, in addition to all of the human health and social impacts. Um, so that's one area where these mines really could need to do a better job of, you know, of just finding ways to control the dust and um, maybe the way that they crush and grind the bauxite needs to be improved. All right. So what are some of the suggestions in the report? What are some of the good things we can look forward to? Yeah, well, we um, have four main recommendations of ways to improve um, the industry. The primary way is actually um, to shift to cleaner, more efficient sources of electricity for the smelting. And as I mentioned, there are six smelters or the facilities where the aluminum is created as a metal um, left in the United States in five different states. And only one of those runs on renewable energy. The one in New York runs on hydropower. And we would really like to see, you know, step by step, it's not going to happen overnight, but the other states really need to start adopting more um, renewable energy into their electric grids. Um, by our calculations, and this is supported by international data, about three quarters of the greenhouse gases created by aluminum production um, come from just the electrical source. It's a very energy intensive process to convert, you know, this powder that the bauxite comes from at or is turned into rather, it's called alumina powder. To convert that into a molten metal um, takes a lot of electricity. So we really would like to see this, these different states that are supporting the aluminum industry to start finding ways um, for aluminum and other production, other manufacturing to use more clean energy um, over time. And then another um, thing we could really do is to, these smelters are very old, and the alumina refinery in Louisiana is really old. And we'd like to see these operators just make some investments in modern equipment um, that would call, that would do a better job of capturing sulfur dioxide pollution, which is a really big um, health problem for communities, and also to um, reduce their greenhouse gases, which are bad for the climate. So there, there's more modern equipment and more modern um, production processes that could be adopted. And most of these facilities are decades old and probably need uh, much more of an overhaul and retrofit than are currently being made. Um, and then we could all recycle more. You know, we eat, each of us as, an, as individuals and also industry really needs to do a better job. Um, only about 50% of beverage cans in the U.S. are recycled. The rest end up in the trash. And then um, the automotive industry, solar panel industry, and other industries need to do a better job of sort of stripping out the metal in ways that it can be easily remelted and reused. Yes. My problem, Nadia, with, and I guess this is, you know, this is a, a local problem. I, I watch the trucks come around for the recycling, and I, I see they just throw everything in there. You know, um, I think it, I, I, I have a whole, and I, I just see the trucks, you know, they're barely running in the first place. They're held together with twine and spit, you know, and I, I just, I don't think they go back and at the end of the day, do a good job of separating it. You know, it's just sort of, again, I'm sure this is a local issue for me. Part of my yeah, well, problem. 
Yeah. Well, I don't think you're alone, Jim. I think a lot of us um, would like um, more opportunities um, to recycle. And, you know, I don't think the onus should all be on individuals, municipalities and uh, re and garbage collection companies need to do a better job. And there needs to be much more investment because over the long run, you know, being able to recover um, products and something like aluminum, which is actually very recyclable, just like glass, you know, all metal, scrap metal, it can actually be reused for, you know, way more than say plastics can, a lot of which can never be recycled. So here you have a metal that could be recovered more. And I agree with you, my, my recycling company recently turned to single stream uh, recycling. And I wondered, you know, that just means that they're going to have to sort it at the facility. Um, but I think, you know, unfortunately there are a lot of states and municipalities where there isn't re any recycling accessible. Um, so that is definitely one area that, that we need to, um, that we need to improve. And Nadia, let me ask you about this. So I don't want to get political. Let's not talk politics at all, but I believe that energy is good. I think that we should have as much energy as possible. I would rather us dig up stuff in America under our environmental standards than have another country do it with their environmental standards. It doesn't make sense that we have someone else do it and import it to me and that that's somehow better. You know, I mean, I think that's worse to be honest. And it seems to me that the environmental movement wants to stop advancement sometimes as opposed to just adapt advancement i've heard people make arguments that no that's not a good idea to solve that problem because solving that problem allows for people to pump more gas and i'm like well but the problem is solved they're ameliorating things somehow and that's one of my favorite words by the way i like to use it whenever mm -hmm. i can just throw it in um ameliorate it's just a nice word it's like plethora uh but anyway uh it seems to me that the technology could solve lots of the problems so that we don't care about some of the other problems. You know, it seems to me that uh, sometimes the environmental movement is fighting uh, a battle that a lot of people don't agree with. Let's just make everything work. Let's, we don't have to cut stuff off. Uh, if you could like, you know, here's what it comes down to Nadia. If they come after my air conditioning, it's all over. It's all over. You can't come, you can come after my electric stove or my gas stove, you know, whatever. Come after my air conditioning. We're no longer friends. What are your thoughts on my banter, please, Nadia? Yes. Um, I see where you're coming from. I think a lot of people feel that way. And we are, you know, at a point, my, my biggest thought, honestly, Jim, is that we are a point in history where um, humanity needs to make some choices um and there are lots of opportunities to make a transition to new sources of energy really work and that's what we look at in this report as well that we are not saying that oh well you know china and the united arab emirates now produce the majority of aluminum and that's just the way it's going to have to be what we are saying is that if the u.s wants to play a bigger role in return to its its former position as an aluminum powerhouse so that we can really participate in a clean energy and clean transportation economy, um, which is rapidly growing and which many corporations want more of this, you know, lower carbon aluminum. 
if that if the U.S. wants to play a role in that, it needs to clean up its act. And as you mentioned, the U.S. has pretty good environmental standards. We'd like to see those enforced. We'd like to see them stronger um, and updated. The aluminum industry is benefiting from standards that are 20, 30 years old. Um, so those should be updated. And then we can have a resurgence in U.S. manufacturing. Um, but we just don't think that, that you know, these smelters should be, you know, bailed out and supported and get um, federal dollars to keep expanding production unless they also um, clean up their act. And that's, there's actually a lot of federal money um, coming down the pike in the Inflation Reduction Act and so on for for many different industries to produce um, clean energy and clean products um, and revitalize U.S. manufacturing jobs, and aluminum can be part of that. Um, so that's, those are all the things we'd like to see happen. Um, and then nobody has to come after anything. There would be plenty more of this, and it would be produced much more cleanly. I like that. That's what uh, that's what I uh, would like to hear more of. So you and I can stay friends, Nadia. Ah, Yay. 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 Uh, I appreciate <laughs> all the information and I appreciate what you're doing. And uh, I appreciate the aluminum and I appreciate the environmental integrity project. Uh, everyone who's helping out and making the world a better place. Uh, thank you. How do we find out more follow yeah. online? All of that. Get a copy of the report. I want to read it. How do we yeah. find out? Oh, excellent. Well, thank you so much for your interest and to all of your listeners for listening. Um, and I hope that it was uh, useful for them. I would love it if folks read the report. We have a very good executive summary. Folks don't want to read the whole thing. Um, it's very readable. It's got not, lots of nice charts. And the name of the report is The Aluminum Paradox. And it is available at the Environmental Integrity Project's website, which is environmentalintegrity.org. So environmentalintegrity, all one word, dot org, and just look for Aluminum Paradox, and you can read it there. Fantastic. Nadia, thank you so much. Uh, thank you for being kind and helping reschedule the interview. I should let everyone know Nadia sure. bailed me out of a family thing. I appreciate it, Nadia, and I hope you'll come back and educate us some more, maybe next time on potassium or iodine or something. Yes, like and the Thank you so much for having me and for your interest. It's been a real pleasure. And thanks to your listeners for listening. And yeah, EIP does a lot of work on a lot of different industries. So um, from, you know, from coal to oil and gas to metals, we'd be happy to talk anytime. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot, Nadia. All right. Take care. We are out of time, but back soon. Be safe, everyone. Go make a million dollars. Bye now.